One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. We're so excited to have you guys along with us as we've got a very special show planned for you today. I'm very excited about our guest that we have on with us. Uh, it's been another crazy week, as always. Uh, we started actually Sunday this week uh, with a couple of keynote presentations to Civitan International. Uh, they had a group of governors uh, coming in that uh, that is a service organization, and we were the keynote speaker to their planning sessions as they are planning some fantastic service uh, projects for their different organizations in their communities. Uh, and so we had a great time being able to spend some time with them Sunday doing some fellowship and some leadership training. Uh, and with them, we were their keynote speaker Monday night. Uh, so they were a fantastic organization. We had a great time uh, with them, and, and we value their patronage and, and was very happy that we had an opportunity to spend some time with them. We were in Memphis on Tuesday uh, spending some time with some clients and uh, some community leader organizations there. And uh, finally back home uh, for a short time before we spend all week next week in Nashville. Uh, so for our listeners in Nashville, reach out to us because we're going to be there in Nashville, Tennessee, all week next week uh, before we head out uh, back to uh, Memphis uh, the following week and then leading right into the big International Maxwell Certification in Orlando, Florida, uh, which is happening the 16th through the 22nd. We will be there. We'll be excited. We'll be welcoming all of our new people into the John Maxwell team uh, as we always do. Uh, and then right after that, uh, we, we alluded to this a little bit, but um, uh, for those of you that have been following the show, John Maxwell's passion has uh, been in transforming countries. And we have accepted a invitation um, as part of the John Maxwell team uh, from the president of Costa Rica. And I have accepted an invitation from uh, John uh, to participate in some leadership roundtable trainings in Costa Rica, which is happening in March, as we go to transform that country through leadership and leadership training. So there'll be a lot more to come about that. But let's get into today's show. Uh, we have an incredible guest, uh, a, a, a fast friend of mine, somebody who I was introduced through uh, a project that we were working on, uh, which was the Agile Almanac Book 2. As you guys know, I've been talking about that. My great friend, John Stenbeck, he runs greatpm.com, and uh, he and I uh, have talked quite a bit about Agile, Agile Transformations, Hybrid Project Management. He's a great friend to the show, has been on the show many times, and uh, he had spearheaded this project uh, to bring out Agile Almanac uh, Book 2, which I was uh, had accepted an opportunity to collaborate and so it became what we called the Dirty Dozen. That was kind of our inside joke of 12 different authors who collaborated in producing that book and, and really trying to how you know try to take Agile and really scale that to the program and enterprise level. And so it was a great collaboration of 12 incredible people to really lend uh, next level thinking in into this into this book. And so when I went out to Las Vegas as part of CA World, we did a large book signing. And for those of you that follow me on Twitter, we posted a video 
uh, about the book signing and about uh, the speech that John and I did out there. And this person was in that video with us. Uh, And she's currently a project manager for Willis Towers Watson in Buffalo, New York. Uh, She leads an operational support team with a main focus on uh, CRM, or or customer relationship management, and uh, confluence data management. And previously, she was a project manager for M&T Bank in Buffalo, New York, leading a digital banking program team with a main focus on mobile application development. She has uh, led enterprise-level projects for over eight years that span from back-end upgrades to customer-facing applications, and she started working as a freelance writer, trainer, and agile coach in her spare time. She's a member of the PMI Buffalo chapter in New York and previously held the director of community outreach position within the chapter. And as a director of community outreach, she was responsible for running a project management for nonprofits program, which was a program of training, mentoring, and an e-toolbox of forms and templates designed to bring project management best practices to Western New York charitable organizations. Uh, She's a member of the Buffalo Junior League, which is a philanthropic organization committed to volunteerism, developing the potential of women, and of course, improving the community through effective action and leadership. She's certified by PMI as a project management professional, which is PMP, an agile certified practitioner, which is the PMI ACP, and she also uh, holds the certified Scrum Master designation from the Scrum Alliance. Uh, She graduated from Empire State College with a BA in Business Administration and Economics, and she now also holds the distinction of being an Amazon number one bestseller, along with the rest of us. Uh, let's welcome to the show Nicole Tubulio. N- Nicole, how are you? Tubiolo. I- See, I told you I was going to do it. <laughs> That's okay. Hi, Rick. Thank you. Uh, I'm doing well. Um, I'm, I'm extremely grateful to be a guest on your show today and um, to be reconnecting. Um, so thank you very much for having me. And it's been a little little while since we've seen each other in Vegas, and and again that was a video that we posted out on Twitter. What a what a fantastic time that was! The book signing, the excitement around the launch of the book. Talk to the audience a little bit about that. Yes, it was an excellent experience, and um, you know, being at CA World and having so much interaction with everyone there, um, the book signing, the launch itself, um, it was really just a great. Um, a great weekend or, or a couple of days there uh, at CA World for, um, you know, you, you and John had uh, a great talk there, and we also had the book signing, which was, was excellent. And so, you know, this has been a culmination of a, of a lot of work, and, uh, of course, John spearheaded that, uh, but uh, you took a couple of these chapters within the book and made them your own. Why don't you tell the audience which chapters you wrote and, and just describe those for a little bit? Absolutely. Yes, I did. I had the extreme fortune of working with this, um, you know, brilliant team of co-authors led by John, and I did uh, contribute to two of the 17 chapters, uh, one being risk management. So the main focus there is is talking about various risk management approaches used by Agile program teams, ranging from, you know, the, the do nothing and let it become an issue approach to, you know, various tools and techniques uh, to identify and mitigate risk. So a lot went into that that risk management chapter. And the, the other chapter that I wrote on uh, was around budget management and exploring various thoughts and tools and different methodologies used to manage Agile program budgets. Um, certainly there's uh, the traditional earned value management used for uh, the traditional waterfall project, 
and, um, you know, starting to see teams and talk about having teams leverage um, more of an incremental cost management or looking at lean budgets and, and empowering teams with uh, decision-making authority. So there's a, there's a lot there, and that was a quick summary of, of both of those chapters, but I did have, um, was very fortunate to work with, with everyone and, and make those contributions to the Agile Almanac. And so we're going to deep dive on a couple of those topics, but I, I always like to start broad with, with you know, anybody that I have on in, in Agile and, and hit them with a couple of things that, that I always got to hear and kind of the reason why I jumped into Agile in the first place. So when Agile started really hitting the marketplace, I was running into Agilists that were saying things to me like, we can't tell you when we're going to be done because we're Agile. Uh, and then specifically to your chapter, we can't tell you how much it's going to cost because we're Agile. What would you say to, to somebody who's who's trying to lead an Agile transformation and saying things like that? Yeah, those are great points. And I've actually, Rick, I've heard those as well. Um, and and I think that there are there are those sound to me to be agile myths, right? That uh, a project manager is not needed, or a leader uh, of a group would not be needed, or that you don't necessarily know how much it costs um, because you're running agile. It sounds to me that um, there are definitely practices and and tools to be used to to work with teams. And and really, if you think about Agile and you think about the Scrum Master and, and that Scrum Master is really just another way of saying project manager. Um, so, so maybe it's that you don't need the term project manager, but you're replacing that with the Scrum Master um, who's more taking on that role of, of servant leader um, as opposed to um, perhaps, you know, in a traditional a traditional perspective on um, project management would be command and control versus servant leaders. So there might be some some subtle differences there, but um, but there's still um, leadership and a leadership role from a project management perspective. Um, just taking a slight different view on that, and then from the funding perspective, you had um, you know made mention of we don't know how much it's going to cost. Um, you, you know, if you fund an agile team, you can uh, determine how much a period of time would cost and then determine the value that would be brought forth in that period of time. And so you, you may not define uh, how much um, a feature function or capability would cost in a certain period of time, but you would be able to um, directionally provide that information or an estimate to that. Yeah, and, and that's the point, I think, that, that really makes Agile what it is. If, if we look at what we've done traditionally as project managers, the, the thought pattern that we actually could, you know, take an initiative um, and then we would try to plan out over the next two years everything that we were going to do up front and then turn around and say it was going to cost this, um, the, the fact that we were bold enough to think that we actually could plan that well, um, and of course, you know, we'd always get into scope change like crazy, and we'd always miss our budgets and timeframes. And right. The, right that, and, and that's what happened. That's why people got frustrated. The other thing is by looking at it, but at initiative by initiative by initiative, we were overloading our teams. And that is, you know, I think the issue that every company has in America is that you have too many initiatives, not enough people. And so, therefore, you have no idea what they're working on. And so, they just keep approving new initiatives without understanding what it's doing to their team. Thus, I have a radio show called The Work-Life Balance. And um, so, when we really start to look at Agile and you start looking at funding teams, that really becomes a a point that is is not only a point of struggle, but 
then you're starting to reverse that flow. You're basically saying, here's a group of people, we're going to fund them for a certain period of time, and then we're going to start looking at the maximum they can produce. And and I think it's reversing that funnel. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yes, I would agree with that. That, be, that becomes, that makes it such that the, the cost of the team is fairly consistent over time. And the variable there is the amount of features, functions, or capabilities that that team can produce. And, you know, that team will, in some sprints or some months or some quarters, that team may produce um, a higher output or higher quality um, based on the team members and where they are in, in their cycle of, of being a team. And uh, it allows the organization to know how much that team will cost and the unknown then becomes the deliverable and how, how many, how much or, you know, the quantity of the delivery um, that will be produced in that time period. So it is, it's taking that thought and, and kind of flipping it on its side or upside down as opposed to saying, this is how much money um, this will cost and then, you know, taking those change requests as you said, you, you know, how would we possibly know over the period of two years um, how much it will cost us to produce um, a feature or a function um, over time? So instead, we would take that and, and baseline the cost at a flat rate, if you will, assuming you have the same number of dedicated individuals on a team, and you change the amount that's produced um, each sprint or in a given time box. And I think that that's the biggest struggle. So we're actually going to dive into that right after we take our first break here and start talking about the concept of funding value uh, versus and, and teams versus funding initiatives. So we're going to talk about that right here when we come back. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late, on budget is now too expensive, and today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously, while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile, and there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality. So you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback, build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution, and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience. So be the one who wins. App after app, day after day, with Agile Management. From CA. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? 
In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance. And you did hear the dial-in number. We do welcome phone calls and questions. And I actually have an over-under bet going with how long it might actually take John Stenbeck to dial in. So... We're coming back with Nicole and talking the Agile Almanac. And, and right before break, we were talking about funding of Agile teams. Um, and, and this is something I'm actually I'm, I'm going to Nashville next week, and we're taking a client live um, in Agile. And, you know, they're still struggling, Nicole, with the, this whole thought pattern of, yeah, but don't don't we have to track time and, and don't we have to – um, allocate, you know, percentages to support projects and all of this other stuff. And, and you know, really, they, they're still, they, they say they want to be agile, but they just can't pull themselves out of the hamster wheel. And, you know, it, you have to really start walking them through truly funding agile teams. And, and so what really is a benefit of funding agile teams over projects? Well, Rick, I would say that funding Agile teams at at the team level provides the team some stability so that they can continue forward movement on providing value and producing those features and functions and capabilities um, and and really leave their focus there. I've seen teams that have not had that and, you know, the backlog then becomes Anytime something that comes up new to go on the backlog of features, functions, and capabilities, there's there's a pause or there's, you know, take some time to put together a thought process around putting in a change request in order to uh, receive funding for that particular feature. Um, and, and really the value there is that you, we want our teams to be focused on producing um, value and, and focused on really just moving forward on what's the next best function. So let's empower our teams to make decisions on on what feature or function or what capability is the best next item on that backlog or next set of items on that backlog to pick up and put into the sprint and and fund those teams so they can move forward accordingly. It, It allows for... Um, that team to feel empowered and to feel more ownership around what they're producing, but it also allows for less overhead, in my perspective and opinion, there's less overhead there. If a team is given, say, a, um, you know, a quarter's worth of funding or even a month to test it out or two months to test it out and um, and determine that it, it's it's working well. So so organizations that are having are challenged and, and really... Um, 
focused on that uh, need to track time or the need to track the percent allocation, you know, they can go ahead and track time and percent allocation, but it should be pretty flat, uh, assuming you have teams that are 100% dedicated to efforts. Um, and that, you know, you, you kind of move, I would move one step at a time towards towards making that transition, uh, you know, by, by saying you can, you can track time, but it will be the, the same flatlined across all of these months because we're going to dedicate, you know, X amount of dollars to, to fund this team and lo- allow them to move forward. And, and that's exactly right. And, and I mean, when you, when you look at that and start to look at um, when we're talking about funding this, it, it, it's still a different mindset, right? Because what you have to start to walk through with an organization is if you look at their, the way they do things now as initiatives pop up, you're pulling teams away from work, you're, you're making them attend meetings, you're making them do all these planning, all of this stuff. And, you know, I've, I've laughed with, with several people, but, you know, I want to make T-shirts that just say, don't touch my sprint, right? And Because uh, that's really what it comes down to is don't touch my sprint. Um, and then really quickly, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that I, I, I took the under bet and, and won it because we've got John Stenbeck on the phone. And let's welcome John to uh, the Work-Life Balance. John, how you doing, brother? Hey, Rick. How are you today? Can you guys hear me? Oh, good. We can hear you just fine. So I had to laugh when I heard you call me out with the over-under bet because, you know, I always listen to your show. And especially, hey, Nicole, so glad you're on the show. Couldn't, couldn't resist giving a shout-out there. Hi, John. How are you? I'm good. So if, if I can interrupt the flow of the conversation, uh, there's two things I think that, that you guys really should talk about with the audience that are really important. Right? One is the, the common agile myth, and now that I've said the word myth, our co-author, Joe Montalbano, who's our myth master, won't be able to resist calling in, too. But, you know, one of the myths is that a company is either, you know, needs to or wants to or must become 100% agile or not. And yet our experience with most of our, you know, Fortune 2000 and larger clients and agencies and, and military commands and stuff suggests that only about a third, maybe 30% of what they're doing has the the required amount of complexity and uncertainty, right, and variability to justify the overhead that Agile causes, uh, whereas the other 70% is stable enough to not need Agile. And and I think that was really, you know, Nicole and and Rick, when we all started talking about if you're scaling Agile, how do you do budgeting and how does all that factor in, that was really a big breakthrough. I think that's a huge breakthrough. And so coming, you know, coming to that point, you're not completely agile, you're not completely waterfalls to the hybrid approach is where it's at. Um, But I think that still changes the focus with the introduction of agile. um, And the biggest shift I think I've made, uh, certainly in my my consulting and my career over the last two years, is still the shift of funding value and stop funding initiatives. Um, and start looking at things as in terms of the output of value that we're going to bring versus the amount of money we're going to spend. And um, I, I think that that agile level of thinking um, also in applying agile principles across the board is something that's that's really been exciting for us to watch. And Rick, I know in one of our conversations, you'll probably even remember it. You completely rocked my world when we started talking about, and I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to get the name exactly correct here, so help me out, non-project investment objectives that you can do in the, the CA Agile and CA PPM. 
and, and how much flexibility that saves, how much overhead that reduces, how it gives the, the agile folks the ability to be agile and the management to get the reporting they need and to do that without driving a lot of overhead. Have, have you shared that much with your audience? Yeah, we, we've definitely done some shows on that, but uh, I do want to give you an update. And, and since we're going to take this topic for just a second, we, we actually applied this thinking just recently to pharmaceutical and pharmaceutical development. Um, and so we're very, very excited. We won't say the client, but we've got a client that, that deals in, in wet labs and testing um, in pharmaceutical development. So what they do is receive samples, uh, and those samples come in, and, and they do daily runs. Um, those daily runs are essentially um, basically sprints. They're daily, you know, every day we're going to do, we're going to run these um, instruments and these instruments are going to output. And uh, however, the lab are getting samples that could be generated by 10 or 15, maybe even 20 different projects. So the management and billing and invoicing and all that stuff is very difficult for them to track. And there's a lot of, you know, potentially lost revenue and everything else. Um, so by applying the same thinking where you have waterfall-style projects that are generating the tasks or features, which are being then fired into an agile methodology where they can do their runs. So from a lab, it just they have work. It doesn't matter which project is generating it. It's just a queue. And so now we have a pull queue and a Kanban-style board that's generating the lab work. And as it completes, it's automatically updating the appropriate project so invoicing can be done uh, it's kind of revolutionizing that business, uh, and it's being done in the very same way. So it's it, it's very very exciting uh, to see that, and so it's the same uh, style when you're looking at that from an IT perspective. Is is even if you're not a hundred percent agile, you can still allow your teams to stay in an agile methodology while multiple waterfall projects are just simply generating work. Multiple defects are coming in from your support staff, and it's just generating work. Uh, they just complete their work and it's updating the appropriate systems. That's that's essentially the same theory, uh, but we're applying that same level of thinking now across industries and outside of IT using the, the CA tool sets. Yeah, which is why when we were going through writing the book, we all thought that that it was possible that Nicole had taken on two of the hardest chapters in the whole book. Right, because how do you come back then and budget still at that level? And that NPIO that you talked about, the non-project investment objects, was the ability for us to shave a slice of our budget to agile teams, right? So I can say 60% of the budget's going to be to funding teams, 40% of the budget's to funding initiatives um, or strategic projects, uh, and then still be able to report and roll that up because at the end of the day, the CFO doesn't care that we're doing story points. They want to know we made X amount of dollars and we generated X amount of revenue. Fair? Yeah, right? That just makes so much sense because, you know, the other myth I was going to bring up is this idea that somehow an internal or external, either one, that a customer can give you imperfect specifications and somehow expect perfect schedules or budget kinds of forecasts. I mean, who could actually believe that that's possible? And there's no way for us to do that. So... Yeah. Coming back then to right that that's the other other than agile and in and I think the two favorite words I ever saw come out in the PMBOK was progressive elaboration. Amen. Right, which which is that. And so Nicole, coming back to that, 
you know, when we start talking about funding and, you know, how we're funding in, in that portion, if funding is, is provided to teams and, and not to projects or scope, then how, how do people then measure value? That's a great question. So, so the variable here when teams are funded is, is what's being produced. So we have teams that have a backlog, and that backlog is story-pointed, and you, you can see the trends of, of how much is produced in any given sprint, and, and from there you can determine the value of that time period uh, for what's been delivered. So you, you would measure almost in reverse as opposed to measuring how much money you're spending, you're measuring the value of what is being produced from a feature function capability perspective. Um, so, so again, just kind of taking that, that traditional model and, and thinking of it a little differently and thinking of the variable there being what's, you know, from a story, you can use a story point perspective to, to roll that into what the value is. And, and Rick, you, you made a great point that, you know, the CFO doesn't necessarily care about story points, right, and, and having the ability to, to measure and show the value versus the cost for that value is still there because you do know how much your team costs when you fund it um, from a team perspective. And then once the value is produced, you know how, what, what's been produced for that money. So it's just that you are, are showing the value after those features, functions, and capabilities are produced. Yeah, and I think the, the, the biggest point in that, too, is course correction, um, and and so I think in in the book and, and I believe it's John's graphic that does it when we start talking about going through the cone of uncertainty and Joe, John just alluded to this as well as when we get imperfect requirements and expect perfect results um, that when we go through that cone of uncertainty in in a standard project we're at the end of the project and it already expended all of our funds before we've actually you know, realized that we've missed the mark. And, and that's generally, you know, 60% of the development projects that, that, go, that go on in a development world. Whereas in an agile methodology, that when you're starting to release every two weeks and trying to release value and features and capabilities every two weeks, then that feedback loop is so important where you can course correct. Um, and so you're, you're hopefully developing and, and coming out of that cone of uncertainty a lot faster um, and that's why that methodology seems to be taking off so well. We've got to take a break right here. We're going to do that. We're going to let CA pay some of our bills, uh, and one of those checks should go to uh, John Stenbeck for mentioning them first on the show this this week, uh, and we'll be right back on the Work-Life Balance here with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot 
is suddenly not. Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management, the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, CA PPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, helpers are elevated, and customers are engaged. All while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CA PPM is the industry leader with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA Project and Portfolio Management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. I hope everybody's doing well. And uh, wanted to say hello to uh, John Watson, who's also a longtime listener, a great friend, and uh, shout out to him. Uh, thank you for the text, brother. Love you always. Um, so coming back, uh, wanted to, again, um, you know, we're still diving into this whole funding thing. And since uh, Nicole wrote the chapter um, on scaling agile in as, you know, into budget management, uh, wanted to keep going down that topic. And, and so what I see a lot of clients struggle with, Nicole, is, is again, they're, they're coming at this still with that traditional, uh, we've got, you know, X amount of money to spend. And we want to pick all the projects that we're going to do. And I think one of the biggest issues that most companies run into is that they pick projects based on what they can spend, but not what they can reasonably accomplish. And in this in this aspect, if they are going to be switching to an agile methodology, as John just pointed out, you know, only 30% of their their budget could be going to agile teams. So, you know, what is your suggestion or how do how do we start to look at teaching portfolio management and program management in an agile methodology to be able to divide those budgets? That's a a great question. Um, You know, and and how are we dividing those budgets? Really, it depends on how many of those projects um, in the portfolio really require the agile methodology. And, you know, John's made a good point that maybe it's 30%. We'll we'll go with that example, 30% for the company. Um, So, you know, that 30% of the budget is set aside and, and let's, you know, continue on with the 
the theory that this 30% would go to funding Agile teams um, and not initiatives, um, those Agile teams would then have, you know, a roadmap of features and and capabilities that they're looking to produce um, that they would be focused on. It wouldn't be that the the funding would go directly to um, those functions, but they would directionally be towards those functions. So that 30% of the budget for Agile, and then the remainder of the budget towards those traditional projects that are really um, based on the scope and funding scope and funding, you know, what, what they have detailed in their requirements plans. Um, so that, that 30% that goes towards Agile would, would be managed a little differently in that, um, you know, they would, the, the dollar amount would be that steady 30%. Say you broke that up into the four quarters and, and provided the funding to a team for the first quarter and they would take their, their roadmap and, and work towards uh, achieving the functions on that roadmap. And then you would, would certainly need to measure how much that was spent and then, you know, roll that up to, to reporting on, on a regular basis, be it weekly or monthly, depending on what the governance structure, you know, required or the company required. Yeah, I like to say it, you know, when I'm working with clients, I, I kind of go, let's just cut let, let's just cut through the red tape, right? Let, let, let's cut the jargon and crud. Uh, and describe how it's being done today. And so how it gets done today is you define, you know, Project X, and you say, these are all the things that I want. I want, you know, 150 things to be developed. And so we say, great. And we sit down and estimate how long it's going to take to do those 150 things. And we come back and we say, it's going to take us two and a half years to do this, and it's going to cost X amount of money. And they're going to come back and go, well, we don't have that amount of money, and you got six months. Right? So then the discussion is, well, what do you want to cut? And generally, the answer, and again, I'm being a, a bit facetious here, but they're like, well, we're not cutting anything. you got six months. And so then we become the, the people that covertly degrade quality or whatever else. But that's general project management, right? Right. Impossible time frames, impossible budgets, that kind of stuff. What, what I keep telling everybody Agile is is just a better covenant. It's a better contract. What we're saying here is, we're giving an expectation up front of what can be produced. Here's the team. You make your wish list, and every two weeks you get to adjust your wish list. And at the end of the quarter, we'll know that we spent X amount of dollars, and, and we'll show you what we delivered, and we'll adjust from there. And, and what I love about that, it, it, people get uneasy, but at the same time, I also said we also just now cut out the two months of haggling that we would have done if we approached this as a huge project. We just got to work, and we just started doing it, which saved you two months of non-productive time trying to figure out if we could do this in the first place in which you would have just told us to do it anyway. Is that fair? I mean, is that a fair representation? Absolutely. And not only has it saved the two months of you know planning and initiation where there isn't anything produced, it's also saved, you know, in that third or fourth month where execution is going on and then the initial delivery takes place. Maybe you may be six months out before your product owner or business manager is seeing anything functional and providing feedback on it, at which point it may not, the requirement provided may not actually be what's needed to solve the problem. Uh, the problem, the business problem could have changed given that it's taken so long um, or, or, you know, maybe there, you know, once you see it, once you see what's been built, sometimes you 
have a different thought or a different way of building it. So it's saving so much more than those two months. Um, by using that methodology, you're, you're getting producing value and putting it in your customer's hands within potentially two weeks for feedback. Well, yeah, and if you do it right, you're tackling the hardest parts first. So Absolutely. then we're finding out maybe six weeks into it, we can't even do this thing, so we scrap it after six weeks versus finding that out a year and a half into it. And you've saved so much by finding it's, that out in six weeks. You've saved that, that year and a half of maybe a year and four months of work. See, I want to I hire John Gruden just to follow me around with clients just so they can go, come on, man. Every time, you know, you have these conversations <laughs> with clients, right? You just you can just go, come on, man. Because, I mean, I don't like to oversimplify, but it, it, and that's somewhat of an oversimplification, but that is the contract. That is what we're talking about. So, Absolutely. Right? So when we start talking about funding teams, it, we keep saying two weeks, but does it have to be two weeks? No, no, it doesn't have to be two weeks. It, you know, it's whatever the team has agreed upon as far as how, how frequently they're going to release. It could be it could be a week. It could be a day. I think that you earlier in the show you had an example of, you know, a company that has daily runs. That could be your daily sprint if you're producing something daily. So it really depends on, on what it is you're building and what your team makeup is and, and how quickly you can put something out. Could be weekly. Now, is Agile something you're doing at your organization right now? Uh, I'm not personally doing that in, in my current role. Uh, my previous role, um, I, I did manage an Agile program, um, and we had a, a number of different teams that were working on various parts of producing um, an application. Um, and so, so we've run into a lot, of, a lot of the challenges that we talk about in the book and, you know, had the ability to experience um, a lot of different things firsthand. Yeah, and it, I mean, again, it's, a, it, it's an incredible run if you see it done properly. Uh, but when you start to see people use that as the excuse, and, and you know, John, I think, is, is the person that said it to me that, you know, used for cowboy coding or used to, to say that we don't need to document because we're agile or things of that sort, um, it just becomes a, another methodology you can blame for things going wrong. Absolutely. And it's, and it's, it's unfortunate that in some instances it has been used as the excuse or the reason not to, to do things. I think, you know, if you even take a look at, um, you know, some of the, some of the things that Agile is really kind of trying to draw forth, it's not necessarily that, um, you wouldn't document. It's just that we're, we're saying we're favoring, right? The, the Agile methodology favors um, working technology, working features over documentation. So, so really, to me, what that says is, let, let's get it working, and then let's get it working right, and then let's document it. We're not saying the documentation is not saying uh, that the documentation isn't important. It's really more about, um, you know, getting your hands dirty, getting in there, making, making some changes, seeing what those changes look like, and then providing the documentation. And so it's really in, in how um, the spirit of, of, of some of the Agile methodology is interpreted, um, and, and unfortunately in some cases I, I have heard that to be an excuse, um, but it's really, you know, the spirit of that is let's, let's produce 
some work, and then and then we'll worry about documenting. And that's really just taking the the traditional methodology and and really looking at it in a different way. And as opposed to let's write every every requirement and let's write every specification down and and get all of the documentation perfectly written to a T before we even write one line of code. You know, it's just taking that and going and writing the code first and then documenting it. Yeah, and I think that stems from, you know, poor PMO practices where, you know, you've got these thousands of, you know, documents that you fill out that nobody ever reads, nobody ever goes back, and then they get under change control, and you got to change the document first. And, again, you sit there and you go, you're, you're documenting for the sake of documenting because it's a checkbox on a process somewhere, but it's not providing any value to the business, um, you know. And so I think that the spirit of that, you know, we, we value working software over documentation comes from that. But it didn't say we value working software over no documentation, right? Absolutely. (laughs) It really probably stems from those projects that are really documentation projects, right? The the documentation itself becomes the project, and and that's unfortunate as well. That's the the other extreme, right? But um, I'm, I'm in full agreement with you there, Rick. It, to me, it was always lessons learned. It was like, why are we doing Nobody learns these lessons, and it's only going to go on SharePoint. Nobody's ever going to read it again. So why are we doing this meeting? I don't understand. Right? That, that was mine as a project manager. It's like, am I the only one learning this lesson? Why am I having this meeting? All right. So, uh, yeah, so we the, can archive it, Rick. It's so we can archive it and have it available. <laughs> sure. Nobody will ever open it again. I used to put all kinds of fun stuff in my lessons learned just to see if anybody would ever tell me. And I... There's some doozies out there at past organizations. That's just an FYI for prior companies I ever worked for. <laughs> Go back. There's some nice uh, nice tidbits of information in there. Look, we're going to take our final break here on this Friday afternoon with the Work-Life Balance. We'll be right back with Nicole after this break. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late, on budget is now too expensive, and today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously, while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile, and there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality. So you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback, build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution, and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience. So be the one who wins. App after app, day after day, with Agile Management. From CA. Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot is suddenly not? Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, 
CAPPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, helpers are elevated, and customers are engaged. All while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CAPPM is the industry leader with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA project and portfolio management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the work-life balance. As you guys know, that uh, that music, the lead-in music, lead-out music, comes from the party. It's a group that uh, that I've been involved with and, and managed over the last 20 years or so. And uh, got the sweetest call uh, a couple of days ago from Damon Pampolino, part of that group. Uh, and I know he listens to the show, so I wanted to shout out Damon, tell him thank you for the call. Uh, lifted my spirits as always, brother, and uh, you, you'll always be a brother to me, man. So uh, coming back to the show, uh, Nicole um, – do you have anything, uh, you know, website, anything like that uh, that you're participating in or that uh, you'd like to promote? Yes. Uh, thanks, Rick. The um, a, a part of the Agile Almanac book, too, we've also put together an Agile Integration Forum. Um, you can get to that at greatpmgr8pm.com. And, and really what that is, um, the forum provides um, in-depth discussion points on all of the chapters within the book, and so it's really a great tool if you're working through, um, starting working with, um, moving into agile programs within your organization, or if you're reading through the book and, and really just have some points that you want to discuss or just want to read what's out there on the forum, uh, it's, it's really a great tool and support for, for anyone that, that's working in agile program management. That's fantastic. In fact, yep, I moderate uh, the tools chapter uh, or the tools uh, portion of that. You're doing bu- uh, budget and risk. Yeah. And, uh, of course, there's the other 16 chapters that are out there that are being moderated by those co-authors. Um, and then you guys are doing a lot of exciting stuff, too, in terms of training and, and video development, things like that with John. Talk a little bit about that. Absolutely, yes. I'm actually uh, coming up in February. We'll be involved in um, co-teaching with John um, an ACP, um, PMI ACP class, and so that that's something that's provided by a great PM. And then also we will be recording and have um, PDUs available for each of the chapters, uh, starting with the first several chapters of the book. So, so there's a lot of um, recording going on of, of training related to each of those topics. So if you're interested in some additional information after having read the book or after having read some of the different chapters of the book, um, those will be forthcoming. We don't have a timeline quite yet. But but that um, those items are are being recorded over the next couple of months here. And then, um, how do people get in touch with you? Um, you can reach me at uh, my email address is nicole.tubiolo at greatpm.com. And I, I don't know, maybe Rick, we can have that spelled out. Um, 
on somewhere, but it's uh, N-I-C-H-O-L-E dot T-U-B-I-O-L-O at G-R, the number 8, P-M dot com. Yep, and of course, uh, as a new service, uh, we announced this last week. Uh, we did our first posting. We're we're going to be a little bit behind till we get caught up. But as a new service to our listeners, we are posting transcriptions of the show at my blog now, pmthatworks.com. So when we do announce websites or do announce uh, contact information like that, you'll be able to find it there at the transcription. Uh, just look for the person in the show. We also link to uh, back to the podcast. And we time code it. So if there's something that you wanted to hear uh, within the podcast, you'll be able to advance directly to that and hear that portion of the show. Nicole, we always ask all of our guests, uh, what is some of the best advice you've ever been given? Rick, that's, that's a good question. I would say some of the best advice I've been given is to, to really um, be outside of, of my comfort zone, right? I've been, um, you know, just taught that, if there's something that is is uncomfortable, it's probably where you need to be to grow. And so growing and learning and and change even, and a lot of the topics that we talked about today were around change and change management, moving from traditional to agile, that's very outside of the comfort zone. And so I think that a lot of success can be found um, if you move outside of your comfort zone and just kind of get used to being uncomfortable. I think that's great advice. One of the pieces of advice I'd like to give the listening audience um, as well, something that I completed today, uh, but that brought me a lot of joy, um, was volunteering with Junior Achievement. Uh, So you can contact your local Junior Achievement wherever you guys are. uh, But uh, I taught uh, taught my son's class over the last several years. I decided to teach a senior class here at Hoover High School uh, in the Be Entrepreneurial program. And uh, it was fantastic. Now, you get all the materials. Uh, there's guided lessons, but then you can infuse whatever you want to infuse within those lessons. Um, and it literally is just is one hour um, per week for six weeks. And so you actually work out the schedule with the teachers. Uh, it wasn't six consecutive weeks for me because of my schedule, uh, but I had a fantastic time. I learned a ton about the students. I've actually scheduled some follow-on sessions uh, because I want to stay involved with that class and, and just really, you know, got to know these kids. Uh, and it was a great way to give back. And so I challenged the audience uh, to get involved. It's a great way to get involved with your, your community. And uh, you'll learn just as much as you give uh, those kids. And they need it. They need to hear from business leaders in our community. They need to hear from leaders in our community. Uh, and at the same time, it was just, it was a blast. It was a ton of fun. So I wanted to to shout out my Hoover High uh, finance Academy students that I, I have had a great opportunity to spend some time with. So, Nicole, thank you so much for being on the show. We loved having you, and I'm sure our paths are going to cross again uh, here real soon. Excellent. Thank you so much, Rick. I really appreciate and I'm extremely grateful for being a part of the show today and, and having a great discussion with you and John. Yeah, anytime. We may do a show where we get like a bunch of us, a bunch of the authors, Agile Almanac, and just have a free-for-all. So we'll see how that goes. Mainly just to drive Matt crazy, but that, that'll be fun just to see what happens. But uh, <laughs> That would be great. <laughs> so next week, gang, we have got Scott Ambler is going to be joining us. If you guys don't know who Scott Ambler is, uh, he actually is a co-founder of the Discipline Agile Delivery System and was really instrumental in helping IBM go down that Agile delivery path uh, and is just an incredible person in the Agile world. 
Uh, we're so excited that he's going to, to take an hour of his very busy schedule to spend his time with us on the Work-Life Balance. Uh, the week after that, um, we're going to have a revisit from uh, Todd Neslany. And if you guys haven't heard the first show with Todd Neslany, you, you, need, you need to go back and listen to that. Because if we had more educators like Todd Neslany in our, in our environment everywhere, uh, we would be just fine. But Todd's going to be coming back. He just released a new book. Uh, called Stories from Web, and he's going to be sharing those stories with us and just talking about what's been happening with him since he was on our show. Uh, the last time he was on our show, Hurricane uh, Harvey had just happened uh, in Houston, and, and uh, he was sharing a lot of those stories with us. But he's fantastic. You're not going to want to miss that show either. Uh, so please join us in the next coming weeks here on the Work-Life Balance. As always, we love spending our Fridays with you. Please stay tuned right here to the Voice America Business Channel. You can reach me at, at Rick A. Morris. Find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or anywhere else or at rickamorris.com. We'll talk to you next Friday right here on the Work-Life Balance. We'll talk to you next Friday. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.